Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Revolution Radio, The Movement, a podcast. I am personally very excited about this project, especially since podcasts now get some super good traction with listeners. I think podcasts are even better than videos because just like with music, you can plug in and go about your day doing whatever and still be digesting some really good information. Um, The movement, instead of turning strictly to news, is going to delve into the story side of what's going on. Because like I was saying in the June 10th episode of Revolution Radio, we get lost in the facts. We get lost in the information and it does truly desensitize us and distances many of us who aren't living among the community being attacked from the emotion, the actual story. We subconsciously forget that the people being harmed aren't just numbers, they are people. And I feel like this podcast will do a lot to help get rid of that distance. It's people our age, young people sharing their stories. And it's not only black individuals sharing their stories, but other people of color. And I've got guests who are just allies that are coming on, which is also very important because I think it'll help you guys to hear what a conversation between two different worlds can sound like. You can learn the kind of language you can and can't use as a non-black person. You can learn to help your community in ways that are actually more helpful than the ways you've been helping. You can learn. And these conversations between the few guests and I on the show aren't just going to stay on the show. They will go, they'll go to you. We will then know how to have conversations with others around you. It can become, it can become even more of a local or national conversation. It can become a global conversation because that's what's a huge part of the movement. It's communication and sharing conversations. It starts with you. You talking to people at home, your teachers and the classmates sitting next to you, your black friends, and even the guy who's made some questionable remarks. Because it is true that conversation can help change an opinion. And while it can change an opinion, it can also help you to identify who are part of the problem. And it can help you both to reach an understanding. It can link whole opposite universes together and that is crucial today's episode will be about being an ally with two allies that i am seriously proud to call my friends even as there are some of the best people on planet earth who are just so devoted to activism and they're constantly finding ways to learn relearn and act accordingly We talked a lot about allyship, but we also talked a little about the music industry, some generational differences and allyship that is actually more harmful than beneficial and seriously a lot more. I'm I'm also going to try to start out every episode uh, with a with a guest telling a story in response to a more specific question I've asked them. For this episode, I asked Ava and Esther about a time they began to recognize some of their own internal racism. Another bit of information is that if you are listening to this podcast on the Anchor app of which this podcast was made, you'll be able to hear in between 
breaks songs by black artists who will include which will include some classic civil rights music also and also local and black fronted musicians of our own time okay that's it i'm done with the announcements if you want more info that can be found in the episode's descriptions and on the original uh revolution radio account goodnight underscore once underscore more enjoy Hello, I'm with my dear friends Ava and Esther Levy, who I find to be incredible allies in the movement for equality. How are you guys? Decent. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good now. Good, good. Great. Yeah? Are Mm -hmm. you feeling comfortable? Yeah. Comfy. Comfy. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to start out with one, one general question, which is, how do you be a good ally? Because I think you guys are pretty good at it. Well, thanks, I guess. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's just like a constant willingness to change and adapt the way you exist. Because mm-hmm. like there's, you just have to be willing to listen and hear people out, hear the yeah. people who are affected mm-hmm. by these systems. You have to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And as a white person knowing that it's not about you at all right and yeah just kind of yeah being just willing being to just like incredibly empathetic yeah mm-hmm. and drop your ego because mm-hmm. it's just not important mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. especially when it's like in terms of people's lives yeah so when you when you like think about like when you think about what you have to do when a movement starts or something like that like when when all of this was starting what was like your first initial i have to do this i have to do Mm. this now that it's starting Mm, i think it's like it's really really changed like because i i kind of feel like i have a new thing that i feel like i need to do like every day but Mm -hmm. initially it was probably just like being out in the streets yeah Mm -hmm. protesting Mm -hmm. yeah i think like ava and i were we were kind of talking about this earlier too like how we've kind of had to reframe like what participating looks like every day because initially like especially being in Minneapolis like right after George Floyd died and stuff too it felt like the emergency Mm -hmm. and the like moment of it it was like the important thing was like running medical supplies around and like picking up and dropping off our friends who were like helping with deal with like tear gas and Mm -hmm. like mitigating Mm -hmm. the emergency so just like that adrenaline was really intense and Mm -hmm. it was just kind of like the most important thing we can possibly do is be right here for people on the street Mm -hmm. but also like knowing that we were kind of like internally dealing with the discomfort of like if we wanted to be there too or if we just wanted to like help run supplies around whatever but or like if it even felt like our place or if it felt like our place Mm -hmm. yeah to be like Mm -hmm. at the precinct or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah and now i think ava said something poignant earlier about how um it's so important to not be doing selfless things to feel good yeah and so and this like kind of uh Dismantling like the selfishness of you like, just it can't deeds. nothing that you do has to be for self gratification. Yeah. It has to be just wholeheartedly selflessness. Mm-hmm. And in this country, we're totally built with this, um, 
like value of charity mm-hmm. and charity making you a good person mm-hmm. and it's like letting go of that's that. yeah needs mm-hmm. to be destroyed honestly because it's not about it's so much bigger than the personal yeah. right and the individual yeah. right that kind of brings me into what I was gonna say was like what types of allyship are hurtful and that's like the performative totally, aspect yeah or like yeah like donating just for like the gratification mm-hmm. of like feeling like a good white person it's right. like that's just so unfair mm-hmm. yeah totally I think people just feel like if you're an ally in any way you're perfect yeah mm-hmm. but it's like now it's yeah. a or like doing process. one thing and then being like oh I'm relieved of my ship duties for the week yeah like you don't get to just Mm -hmm. drop in and drop out Mm -hmm. when you want sometimes you're not in the mood and sometimes it's uncomfortable and sometimes you're tired and whatever Mm -hmm. but like that just doesn't fucking matter at the end of the day right it like really doesn't i have lived my entire life with like the comfort Mm -hmm. and privilege of being white Mm -hmm. so i'm like i can fucking deal with the discomfort and like the internal struggle for a few weeks yeah Mm-hmm. Or, like for the rest of my fucking life yeah like because mm-hmm. this is just a constant you've just had the privilege of not having to yeah. do it while growing up totally yeah so like why not mm-hmm. why not dedicate myself to mm-hmm. it that's why uh at the beginning of me posting the videos i didn't put my venmo in there mm-hmm. because i knew that people were just gonna i knew some people were just gonna send me money to be like i did the work yeah. i did my yeah. part now i don't have to learn that's like the the, like the easiest thing that you mm -hmm. can do like yeah especially with all of the fucking unemployment money that people are getting like you and you better fucking do it yeah yeah Mm -hmm. but it is the easiest you of other work Mm -hmm. yeah and the the blackout tuesday thing (laughs) was so stupid to me so stupid i think uh, i was talking about it it's just like if you're gonna post a black picture you have to do all these other things or like why wouldn't you post something instead of mm-hmm. that like i don't understand what the point of like, because it's a it's a trend people can't stop ugh, with the trend it's a tactic to be like i'm not gonna say anything yeah or like this yeah yeah it's yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. a weird silence like that neutrality, uh, neutrality. Mm-hmm. yeah versus being like actively posting resources mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. well it's like another way like with instagram to post the best part of you like, people post pictures of themselves looking really good when they don't look like that. Mm-hmm. People post the black picture so that people know they're not racist when actually they're not learning anything. <laughs> they they're not putting out resources. Yeah. They're just letting people know, ah, you don't have to attack me. Yeah. Don't worry. Totally. But it's just not, mm-hmm. that is like, yeah, definitely like performative allyship. Mm-hmm. Just not doing enough mm-hmm. is really harmful. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. when it's stuff that, is kind of challenging but isn't like the hardest stuff in the world to do yeah like talking to your family educating your family it's not fucking that hard it's It's uncomfortable but like it's not like you're risking your life Mm -mm. doing that you know no no yeah totally totally it's just yeah like for you a misunderstanding is just a misunderstanding Mm -hmm. for me it could be an entire different world that could be a risk Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm you know yep and also like why not why not like bear the burden of like having to have these really hard conversations rather than put that on people of color and black people mm-hmm. to do because mm-hmm. i'm like this is white people's job this is mm-hmm. our yeah. job to dismantle this system that we created yeah and i think there's this there's too much of a fear of being wrong 
when you're trying to be an ally too mm-hmm. it's this is the time to be wrong mm-hmm. because then and it be gives, willing to be correct yeah yeah because mm-hmm. then you get people who want to correct you you've got resources to correct you mm-hmm. for you you've got google mm-hmm. that can just tell you no actually what you said was wrong yeah it's just nobody's mad at you for being wrong they're mad at how you um how you handle how you handle how you respond to being mm-hmm. wrong yep because yeah. that's what kind of person you totally. are yep yeah oh okay here's the thing i wanted to ask mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you see struggle among your black friends? For, wait, I want to ask if you've ever seen struggle with me. Have you seen how the world treats me in any way? Have you ever picked God. up on something? God, it's... As a biracial person, I can say that I have probably handled the least amount of it yeah or like yeah yeah or different forms of it i think i yeah i think it's probably stuff that i just since i am still really blind to a lot of these like little microaggressions Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's stuff that i don't notice as much as you would you know but i'm trying to think if i have ever noticed anything Mm -hmm. especially like in school Mm mm-hmm i don't know definitely i have noticed people kind of treating you like the token black person, you know? Yep. Or, like, also kind of, like, this model, Mm -hmm. like, black person, Mm -hmm. which is... A representative of the black alternative music scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I noticed that within, like, the instrumental track, totally. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And there were, like, very few black people. There were few black people, and I think people forgot that jazz is has black music in black communities yeah and people take people definitely take me less seriously in school Mm -hmm. definitely always in the instrumental and i think it's partially because i'm black partially because i'm Mm non-binary lgbtq in other Mm -hmm. ways female presenting Mm -hmm. some of the time people just don't know how to take me seriously Mm -hmm. when i mean at risk of sounding <laughs> sounding like I'm not modest. Um, I think I'm pretty good at knowing things. Yeah, you don't have I think to be I, modest. I think I know a few things. You and, do. I know a thing or two. Yeah. And, oh, I'm not going to say his name, but I've... Oh, God, when I first met him... Oh, God. At school? When I first met him, um, when I said that I was in contemporary... He was like, I remember him telling me later on when I when we became friends that he was like, oh, I know more than you then. I know more because you're not Ooh, in. That's so shitty. I thought you were going to say he was going to be like, oh, I thought you would be in jazz. <laughs> no, I honestly wish he would have said something like that. It's so shitty. But yeah, I just remember him telling me he had this like yeah. thought where he was like, oh, I know tons more than yeah yeah than this person yeah there was that really weird like imbalance of the people in yeah and it's oh god it was so weird especially like you being black and non-binary and like people just assuming that like you don't mm-hmm. know don't know things. or our teacher yeah. our teacher in contemporary he he totally treated like every female presenting 
mm-hmm. like non okay every non-white man yep like in that he class, treated like them idiots. like they didn't know anything he, and he like spoke in a way that you speak to a child yeah sort oh, of so gross it was awful so shitty and i would be having like full-on adult conversations with him and he'd be like well just are you? Ew. Are you sure? I wanted to be like, you're a dumbass. Oh my you're god. Stupid. We made fun of him all the time. No, because he was mean and stupid. Because he was a dick. <laughs> I was. I will be here. So I'm just kidding. Love you, baby. Yeah. No. I don't. I really don't. Going back to the question with seeing struggle mm-hmm. in your back, friends. Mm-hmm. I have. I don't know if you and Lily ever noticed this, mm-hmm. but. During some shows, a uh, dude from the band before us would come up specifically to me to help me set up the amp controls and stuff. Dude, people do that to me too, yeah. not to like invalidate. No, 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 you. right. I think it's also a female presenting That's thing so, just in the yeah, industry. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, like, it wasn't like a language I understood. Help? Yeah. yeah. Or, like, oh, here, let me help you do this. Oh, you don't know how to do off. this. Sometimes yeah. it would be my amp. That's and so they'd try to tell me the controls, and I'd be like, "No, I know. That's why Literally I bought it. Bro. That's why I bought it. I know the controls. Thank you." That's so fucked up. Yeah, and they expect you to be really thankful. Yeah. Appreciate it. Oh my god, you're the best boy ever. You're just like, thank you. Can you actually help me carry it upstairs <laughs> after the show? Ick, that's so yep. fucked yeah. up. Yeah. Hate it every time. And sometimes so I wondered if, and maybe this is just more of like a personal thought, mm-hmm. but. Maybe maybe it was because I was so new and people mm-hmm. weren't used to me being in the band mm-hmm. for a long time or something else. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was something else, but I just remember when photos were taken of us, mm-hmm. I was not I wasn't really in them yep. some of the time. Yep. And I just wondered what totally. that was. I know. I wondered that what that too. was. Yeah. The drummers were in it all the time. Yeah. Okay. And they switched out. I know. One thing about like that's bullshit. That yeah. is such bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that a lot, that, like, it's always, like, the drummer being photographed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our drummer is a cis white man, mm-hmm. and I would say 90% of the times at shows that we play, mm-hmm. he, taking photos. he is, he is a professional. He is approached by people who are like, oh my god, that was amazing. Oh my god, mm-hmm. you specifically mm-hmm. are so good at what you do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, why Why is this? I just, I don't even fucking get that. Mm-hmm. Like Our drummers make up Sapphire. Yeah, it's like, and it's like especially white men who mm-hmm. will like approach and be like dude you're fucking amazing and i'll also, be standing like, that's there not what it's about at all Mm-mm. i'll be fucking standing there and they won't say a word to me it sucks i would be pissed it does suck it's so gross mm-hmm. it's so icky and i think people i mean at least for us some of the time you and me ava i think at shows we're kind of timid sometimes mm-hmm. among just like groups of people talking to us totally and i think then people rule us out as the less talented ones. I know, I think so too. I totally think so too. But it's just just unfair. You heard us play. (laughs) You heard us, you saw us play it. Who do you think is writing this music? Mm -hmm. Who do you think made Mm -hmm. this happen? Mm -hmm. Not the drummer. No. (laughs) I'll tell you that. (laughs) No shade to him because I fucking love him and it's none of his, nothing at his fault. It is the culture. It is the culture and that's a huge thing in the industry of music, mm-hmm. art in general, mm-hmm. 
it's just non-men are just like everybody's like does not take you seriously whatsoever Mm -hmm. we need to talk about we need to talk about our families okay because i think we all share the commonality of having white parents Mm -hmm. and it's hard to have a conversation with them yeah it's really difficult Mm -hmm. i want to ask like what conversations you've had that are pretty notable to you about like the difference mm-hmm. and how they think. Totally. Do you wanna, I'm trying to think yeah. about specific ones with mom that we've had. Well, I've just been coming to terms with this um, specific reality of like intergenerational conversations mm-hmm. right now when, when um, our age group is kind of doing so much learning about how to talk about systemic oppression and mm-hmm. how to talk about police brutality and mm-hmm. how to talk about law enforcement and our family has isn't equipped with the same um, verbiage mm. and language and hasn't done the same reading that we have and hasn't interacted yeah. with things the same way yeah. mm-hmm. instead and so so there's this sort of like weird compiling happening where it's like not only are we doing it all right now well it's incredibly relevant and Mm -hmm. there's a ton of scholarship emerging Mm -hmm. on these realities so it's it's new in terms of what we're reading and the way that we're talking about things and what white people are seeing and what white Mm -hmm. people are seeing and because of media and because of um listening to black people listening to black people Mm -hmm. and um, I think that our parents have a different sort of approach that is very, very individualistic and personal because for decades they have, this has been a personal, like their understanding of race has been incredibly personal and a mm-hmm. lot of them were raised in like the colorblindness mm-hmm. generation too where it's like, well, race doesn't exist, or, or like racism, racism is a personal this, like, experience. Overt mm-hmm. hate, it know? ended with the civil rights movement. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. When in reality, it's like all of the systems in our society mm-hmm. are built on the oppression mm-hmm. of black and mm-hmm. brown people, mm-hmm. and like understanding that 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 supporting these systems is in and of itself racist. Mm-hmm. Like our parents don't get that. They yes. see racism as like hate and like saying that direct personal which like racism is personal it is experienced in the body it Mm -hmm. is it is deeply personal but at the same time not only is it direct it's indirect yes Mm -hmm. and it's systemic Mm -hmm. and they have this idea of like they all of their life experiences that they've had for 20 years 30 years with race like with their black friends or like with law enforcement or with black cops or like each individual relationship that they have that like somehow has to do with race Mm -hmm. is personal for them and has formulated their opinion Mm -hmm. on race and so they have this like deeply um personal created created yeah concept of racism Mm -hmm. which is just like not the reality of racism, mm-hmm. you know, because it's how they were taught. Because, yeah, because it's like That's how, how they they see know ra- it exists. See racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a generational thing. Yeah, it's hugely generational, especially because even 
I think, you know, like you and me, we've all grown up in that system, but, but we also, instead of our parents, like just living with it, we've grown up with it, recognized the the faults in it yeah and then are starting to like recreate it redevelop it yeah you know Um, yeah it's kind of like we've all just started to recognize Mm -hmm. which is just a huge thing i think it's our generation specifically that are starting to be like this is what i was taught but it doesn't have to be how i live Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or this is what i was taught but this is not the reality yep Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. another thing about like older generations I feel like it's a lot of especially older white people it's like just taking everything at like face value and like not digging deeper into like multiple perspectives Mm -hmm. because like yeah sure you've existed your entire white life like not having any negative experiences with a lot of these systems Mm -hmm. again it's so personal yeah mm -hmm. all my experiences with my black friends have been da 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 Mm -hmm. or like all my experiences around racism have been da 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 it's like this inability to see the entire picture yeah people Mm -hmm. pick out their their character in the story and don't read Mm -hmm. the entire book yep they only read the parts that include them yep and it's weird because then in so many other areas they look at it on a larger scale Mm -hmm. but it's just somehow in this area in so many very specific Mm -hmm. areas that they block that ability out i think that's i mean it's that's the way that white supremacy continues to exist Mm -hmm. you know it like it keeps white people blind yeah like but i mean you don't have to be you don't have to like, be that not that like <laughs> that's not a that like racism isn't at the fault of like the actual humans who contribute to it mm-hmm. but just that there is this bigger system that the thing that keeps it going mm-hmm. like it, it's you know, it just, it doesn't benefit any of us. Mm-hmm. It doesn't benefit white people who don't know that they're contributing to it. Mm-hmm. Because there, as as much as there are people contributing to it, there is the same amount of people who don't know that they're contributing to mm-hmm. it. That would change if they knew. Yeah. And it's just a fault in the system that says you're just not going to know. Yeah. We just don't want any of you to know. Yeah. Because we have to dehumanize you to mm-hmm. <laughs> require you to like act inhumanely mm-hmm. yeah or like you have to be blind to the evil that you are enacting or that yep. you are participating in yep. in order for it to like continue mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and like i was talking in that speech with in the episode before the hiatus um it's like people like you were saying people think that it's over mm-hmm. and what i was saying in that speech is that it's it can't be over it's so deeply embedded because everyone before you made a system so that you would never you would never be disadvantaged mm-hmm. like they just made it so that even if you did forget about the history and the context of it you will still succeed mm-hmm. in every area mm-hmm. as a white person yeah mm-hmm. And the people who are less than won't, mm-hmm. even if you forget about it. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what happened. We're yeah. forgetting about it. Totally. We forgot about it. And now people are waking up to it. Mm-hmm. People are starting to wake up to yeah. it, at least. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought, too, is like the way that I was taught in history classes mm-hmm. is it's over. The mm-hmm. civil rights movement happened. What's happening to black people isn't really happening anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It took me so long to re- It wasn't until I was like 10 did I understand mm-hmm. that it was still going on. And that's where the indirectness of it comes from is that everyone before you made it so that even if you did forget you're still going to succeed as a white person. Mm-hmm. That's the indirect part part mm-hmm. of it, is that it became a system. Mm-hmm. It became the way our government works. Yeah, it's written into policy. It's written into policy, whether the words give you the awakening or not. Yep, that's like the how Nixon's whole campaign mm-hmm. was like based around being like tough on crime, but in but reality, really it was racist. like, what are you touching? I thought you were looking at my <laughs> But in reality, it's, like, Are just these, these, like, linguistic loopholes to, like, talk about black people specifically, but under, like, a different name, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So that was the first portion of my conversation with our guests. And if you were listening to the movement on the Anchor app, you would have heard a snippet of the classic Change Gonna Come, sung by Otis Redding. Now, before we get back to the conversation... I wanted to give you a little history lesson on this amazing individual. Now, obviously, there there would still be a movement if not for Angela Davis, but it's hard to imagine a world of the Black Panthers without such a badass to contribute to it. Dr. Angela Davis, born in 1944, is one of the most prominent and prolific Black activists in history. She worked and continues to work tirelessly, fighting for Black liberation through prison and police abolition. Davis was born and raised in the Dynamite Hill area of Birmingham, Alabama. The neighborhood was called Dynamite Hill due to the bombing of black folks' home by the KKK. Her mother was a civil rights activist and a teacher. She was also involved with the NAACP. Angela Davis got her start in activism in 1963 when four girls from her hometown were killed in the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church. She joined the Civil Rights Movement and became involved with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC. She joined the Black Panther Party and an all-black branch of the Communist Party in 1967. She decided to continue her education in 1968 at the University of California, San Diego, and received an MA in Philosophy from UCSD. Davis was hired as an assistant professor of philosophy at UCLA in 1969. She was later dismissed due to her involvement with the Communist Party. In 1970, Davis was involved in the attempted escape of several civil rights activists from jail. She fled but was later caught and charged. She was acquitted of all charges. In later years, Davis became a lecturer in women's and ethnic studies at San Francisco State University. She has written 11 books, including Are Prisons Obsolete? Women, Culture, and Politics, Women, Race, and Class, Freedom is a Constant Struggle, and many more. Her writings and philosophies are mainly centered around the intersectional oppression of Black women, Black liberation, police, and prison abolition, and communism. Now, let's get back to the portion where Ava and Esther Levy replied to my question, which was, what is a time you started to realize some of your own internal racism? 
Um, one of the pivotal moments for me recently, just kind of realizing my internalized racism, is just through language and linguistics and how I've kind of been bred to think of like proper grammar in quotations as like a super important thing and that's like a reflection of your intelligence and just how culturally insensitive that is and white washed white supremacist yeah and also just kind of looking back on my school experiences and noticing moments where black students were treated poorly by administration and also I'm, I'm having the same mm-hmm. the same sort of like experience of um kind of un- re-understanding those moments as being inherently racist and at the time just thinking that it not understanding it as racism because of my whiteness like not allowing me to see that but obviously if you're experiencing it you're gonna be aware that it's racist Mm -hmm. and that it's racism and how that's super kind of normalized in schools that like black children are punished more yeah like we have this sense that like they're inherently different or behave poorly but it's just this whites just kind of seeing like white students get away with being super loud or like um talkative or kind of like um having big personalities and just kind of there's more like sensitivity and like telling white students to be quiet or there's no telling white students to be quiet and when like black or brown students were being louder or like doing the exact same things they're punished yeah Mm -hmm. harsher punishment and like a talking to or like shunned out of class mm-hmm. and just kind of like rethinking about those experiences and understanding them as totally racist mm-hmm. and understanding that now when I see things like that happen and I have a greater understanding of racism it's our job, it's to, our job to step in and protect mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and question you know and also not just like not just questioning people or um calling white people out for being racist or punishing black students more but um in instances where you're seeing black people or people of color being interrogated by the police or law enforcement or like kind of in trouble or in some situation with the cops being willing to step in and realize that like their racism is happening in that moment too and like how you can change the entire course of possibly the way that that situation unfolds by stepping in or like being there and like questioning law enforcement or Mm -hmm. whoever is in charge and not like brushing that off or walking away from that situation Mm -hmm. because it could be life or death I've also heard people kind of recommending like different ways to go about like if you do step into like a situation where a person of color is interacting with a cop and like rather than approaching the cop like approaching the person who's being mistreated and be like hey what can I do how are you you know mm-hmm. and like just showing that you're there paying attention yeah yep that was the first episode of revolution radio the movement hopefully it was insightful and I hope you plan to stay for the following episodes 
Next week, I'll be talking to my good friend Anaya about our specific experiences of growing up black. Stay tuned. Revolution Radio is a podcast made for the people and made by the people. To find more information on us, follow me, Indy, on Instagram, the official Revolution Radio account, at goodnight underscore once underscore more, or email us at revolutionradio000 at gmail.com. To support the podcast and your own community, you can show us a little love on our PayPal at paypal.me slash revolutionradio00. The funds will only be used to go towards supporting people in need and supporting the show. Thank you.